You're now listening to the Laravel Podcast. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Laravel Podcast season. God, what season is this? Six? Season six. <laughs> I'd like season, no, 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 something. I'm one of your co-hosts, Matt Stauffer. And then we also got Taylor. Taylor, you want to say hey? Hey, everybody. It's season six when they kind of start thinking about canceling a TV show. <laughs> I, you know what? Now I want to figure out like what season not. did the Jump the Shark <laughs> incident happen? Jump the Shark. Was that good times that that happened in? I can't remember. All right. It was... So for anybody... Oh, Happy Days. For anybody not familiar, there was an American sitcom called Happy Days. And it, over time, got more and more just kind of crazy trying to get people watching it. And at one point, there's an episode where he actually jumps over a shark. And so they say, jump the shark is like a... When something is just like, they went too far, they're trying too hard, just let the thing die. So now I want to see what season... Was it in? Oh, it doesn't actually Maybe, say what season it was. We'll in. be more like The Simpsons, like season fifty-seven. Or yes, whatever. exactly. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, oh, it was season five for them. So we are already past it. We're good. Um, nice. I like it, like The Simpsons. Yeah. When I um, when I oh, go ahead. Um, no, I wasn't yeah. saying anything. Okay, cool. <laughs> when I um, when I got into comics as an adult. I was like, I've always wanted to do comics and my parents wouldn't let me or didn't have money or whatever. And so I never did. And then I realized as an adult that like, oh, my God, I can just now buy comics now. And I bought this Marvel Unlimited subscription where for like 80 bucks a year, you can access like the whole back catalog on the, on the Internet. And I was like, great, I'm going to get started with Spider-Man. And it was like volume 192 or something. <laughs> I was like, how the hell do I catch up with this? But I was I was able to find they did this thing called it was the alternate universe. Do you know what? No, I don't know if you follow any of that stuff. Ultimate, the ultimate, not super deep, not super deep. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know it's like a vast amount of material, you know. Yeah, they, they one of the things they did, I think, in the '90s was they did like a like a alternate universe that I think is where Miles Morales is from, and it I think it's called the Ultimate Universe, and they like rebooted everybody in that universe and told the stories a little bit differently. And so I was like, mm -hmm. cool, this is a more manageable kind of subset. So I. I still haven't read almost any of the comics from the normal people, except for Black Panther. Yeah. But like, I read through all of the. I think it's Ultimate, but whatever that was, and that was kind of fun. And there's like, and it's they did things a little different. Like Miles Morales is a little different. Tony Tony Stark, his dad experimented him in a certain way that ended up in basically like intelligence slash AI being in every cell of his entire body, and then they kind of I don't know. It's kind of like they're like let's let's tell a new story versus just retelling the same Iron Man, Captain America, whatever stories we've told a million times. Yeah. So. I guess we're supposed That's to be cool. talking about code here, huh? <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So we have a queue of questions that people have asked for us. And every single time we get to talking, I say, hey, what's new and what's in the queue? And one of the things I found was there's a whole bunch of items on the queue that all are related to how you and I run our businesses and how we're productive and any regrets we have. And so I figured let's kind of pick those up for this one. So one of the things that I think that is kind of like the biggest deal that everyone was asking is what is the day in the life of Taylor at Laravel? And so I think let's just start with that one. Like today, and I've asked this over the years, but I feel like your role at, at Laravel has changed over the years too so what do you actually do on a daily basis and obviously you're the bdfl the benevolent dictator for life but you're also running a company right so like what do you think of your role as the company do as being and like kind of what kind of stuff do you do so walking through my day i always start the day on customer support so any customer support tickets that have been assigned to me which is usually like i would say like eight to ten tickets something like that i will handle those usually like uh refunds customers that like 
are, you know, getting sort of upset or like mm-hmm. sensitive uh, tickets or whatever. Those are the kinds of things that um, I handle. After that, I head straight to GitHub um, where I review all of the pull requests across the whole organization. Um, I'm still pretty much the only one that merges pull requests across all mm-hmm. the Laravel repositories, including okay. the framework all the way down to Socialite, Telescope, Horizon, Octane, everything. I sometimes, you know, ask for a review on those if it's a package that I'm not like super expert in, um, which would maybe be something like Laravel Pennant, which uh, Tim McDonald wrote. But yeah. most of the packages in the Laravel c- ecosystem currently, I actually originally wrote, so I'm somewhat familiar with how they work. Okay. So I manage all of that. We get probably, I don't know, it can range anywhere from 10 to 25 pull requests a day across the ecosystem wow. that I kind of need to manage. And of course, a lot of them are super quick, but um, a few of them end up being multi-day sort of endeavors or even multi-week explorations of whether this feature is needed or not. After that, I sort of review whatever's in my queue from the Laravel team. So if James needs me to review something on Forge or Joe needs me to review something on Vapor, I'll do that either on GitHub or if it's a post on Basecamp where they're sort of pitching a feature or a problem we're having, I'll review that, respond to all of those. Once all of that is done, which is probably going to be like almost 11 o'clock, I would say, I'm sort of free to work on whatever I want to work on. And sometimes that's busier than others. You know, sometimes uh, like right now I need to review a new package we have coming up at Laracon Australia called Laravel Pulse. Not going to dig too much into the details of what that is because I don't want to spoil it. But, you know, just reviewing that code base is kind of what I have on my plate right now. But, you know, that just varies. And I do think my role at Laravel has changed a lot over the years from more like used to be more like hardcore coder Mm -hmm. all day to more like curator, editor, refiner, sort of like the the chef that does sort of the final inspection on the way out the door, I guess you would say. Yeah. But of course, still write a fair amount of code too. like Folio and Volt were sort of prototyped out by me and, and then Nuno and I collaborated on Volt. So yeah, that's kind of honestly a day in the life of Taylor at Laravel. That's pretty much what what goes on. Okay. So it's interesting to me, like the thing that you mentioned about like, you know, you still merge all the pull requests. Because I think one of the things that people often say when they're talking about running a company is, you know, I just went to a conference for people who own digital agencies, whether it's doing programming or whatever. And they're like, you need to get out of the the day-to-day, right? You want your hands out of the pie or whatever. In some ways you've said that you are, right? You're not the one originating everything. But in some ways... Um, and there was a, one of the speakers there who's like, I know that people who run this conference are going to say I'm terrible. But he's like, one of the things that I want as an owner of business is to keep the business being the things that I still want to do and the ways I still want to be involved in it. And he's like, so what I've done is I hired a CEO to run the thing so that I can still come up with fun little experiments. And he's like, it's her job. And I know this is not what you do, but it's like, it's her job to take all my experiments and decide how to make money with them. He's like, but I want to make experiments. That's what I like. And I don't want to be like, now I can't do what I like because that's not what business owners do, you know? So obviously that's not exactly what you're saying here, but you have obviously built space for yourself to innovate and to create and to continue to be involved in a way that I think that it would be hard for you for the Taylor ecosystem or for the Laravel ecosystem to be Taylor and for there to be stuff out there where you're like, I don't know if I actually agree with that. So I have this very small microcosm of that with Valet because we got to the point where i'm like i need somebody who knows this particular subsection of valet better than me to be the one who decides you know so i'll ask you know chris you know dr bite or somebody else like well 
you know, hey, you know WordPress better than I do. Is this particular request the WordPress thing better? But in the end, it still kind of runs through me, so I can still feel like I own the decisions that are made there. So that's like an interesting balance. It's like you're delegating responsibility for reviewing a particular thing, but the buck still stops with you. Is that kind of how you look at it? Yeah, I think so. And I do the same thing. Like I'll reach out to... um you know, there's a person in the Laravel community, Tobias, that's really knowledgeable about databases. So recently we had a database PR. This was only maybe two or three weeks ago. I had a database PR, wasn't super sure about it. So reach out to him, you know, on Twitter DMs and ask him to take a look at it. And he kind of looked at it and said, yeah, it looks okay to me. So yeah, I still reach out to people like that. Yeah. But the reason I still merge every pull request is just to one, you know, make sure we're only maintaining the things I want to maintain yeah. um, and that the framework is staying sort of focused and not too bloated. But then also to make sure that Laravel is sort of internally consistent stylistically mm. so that all the code is sort of basically how I would have written it more or less, because if it's not, I'll pull down the pull request and like tweak it to be yeah. how I would have written it so that the entire code base and most of the packages feel sort of like they were written by the same person yeah and has this consistency when you're reading through it which i think is helpful if you're trying to work on the code base it all sort of has the same style it has things are named sort of similarly the variables are named in the same way everything just works together yeah so i think if i was letting a team of people manage pull requests the framework would start to feel really disjointed pretty quickly actually Mm. that's a great point and you've talked often about the things that kind of like drive you to like how to make an API and the Laravel has a lot of incredible benefits, but one of them that we don't always talk about, but always benefit from is it just works, right? Like you try a new thing and you're like, well, I understand the ethos of how the database driver works. And so if I have to hit the cache driver for the first time, it's probably going to be very similar. And so you can kind of intuit things. If you learned one, you can intuit that another one's probably going to work relatively similarly. So, yeah. And I think that's, I mean... This is semi-related, but one of the benefits of Laravel, I think, is just how cohesive it is, which creates that it just works together feeling. And I think that, for example, comparing to like the JavaScript ecosystem, I think it's very different and hard to replicate in JavaScript where, for example, in Laravel, let's say you have an event listener that listens to an event and you don't want it to execute until the end of the current database transaction and you want it to be queued. So you put the should queue interface on it. You put after commit on the event listener so that this thing is queued and it's only executed after the current database transaction finished. That takes an interaction of like three big libraries, the database Mm -hmm. library, the event library, the queue library, all working together. And that sort of cohesiveness just doesn't happen in like the JavaScript ecosystem because your database library and your event library and your queue library are all going to be separate. They're all going to be written by different people. They're not going to have that same cohesive feel. And I think that's part of what makes Laravel so nice to work with, honestly. Yeah. And one of the nice things that I like about how Laravel does that is now granted that Laravel does relies on symphony classes. It's got its own internal classes and it relies on third party packages as well. But when it does that, the majority of time it's, putting them all in front of a Laravel flavored thing. So like you may not be writing because if someone heard what you just said and didn't know, they might be like, oh, but aren't you duplicating code that other packages have written? It's like, no, because it's also relying on these other packages from people outside the Laravel ecosystem. But all of them have a, a face in front of them, an API in front of them that is consistent across all of them. So we're getting those things normalized. And, n- you know, no shade to Symphony, but often when I'm like having to reach down into the Symphony component, I'm like, uh, <laughs> get this, mm-hmm. set that or whatever. And I'm like, I'm very grateful for the fact that my day-to-day work with 
the console commands or whatever else is not actually the direct symphony thing, but it's these really nice APIs on top of it. Right. Yeah. And pretty much everything in Laravel except for the HTTP request and artist, the console is sort of custom. Mm-hmm. HTTP and console are really the only big symphony things that we leverage. Yeah. Um, everything else like auth, database, queues, events, all of that is custom written. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not as if you couldn't write those two in Laravel. It's just sort of like why right. do it yeah. when it's if there's already a good one out there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so continuing to talk a little bit about running the business of Laravel, one of the questions we got was about re- managing a remote team effectively. And I know that you and I both manage remote teams, but kind of different styles. So we got questions like, how do you handle standups? How do you handle assigning people's works and shaping the, the features they're going to do and keeping people accountable and communication? So could you kind of like walk us through a little bit what your remote team setup looks like? Yeah, so we primarily use two, two tools, um, Slack and Basecamp. Um, Slack, of course, for everyday sort of communi- quick communication and stuff, and Basecamp for sort of what we call check-ins and work cycle announcements. And I'll mm-hmm. explain both of those things. But basically every month in Basecamp, I write up a document of what we're going to work on that month. So like some people do it in six-week sprints, five-week sprints, whatever. I just do it by month. So like actually this week, pretty much, I'm going to be writing up what we're going to work on in November. Mm. And I'll assign it to people and really that's usually not too hard because like James Brooks works on Forge, you know, Joe works on Vapor. Nuno also kind of works on Vapor. Dries works on quite a bit of open source stuff. So we've sort of slotted into these roles and they're not totally static. Like Joe could definitely work on Forge and and other people could work on Vapor. Um, But that's just kind of how the cards have fell. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll write up what we're going to work on and, and leading up to the next month, I'll be keeping like an internal list of things I think I kind of want to put on that document as people suggest things or as problems come up or just as ideas hit me during the month. I definitely have some idea, you know, before this week of what I'm going to put on the next work cycle. I'll write all that up. I'll also ask for feedback from the team on anything they think we need to address next month. And then I'll post that out on Basecamp and everyone sort of is free to work on their assigned task and pretty much whatever order they want to work on them in. Um, as far as like standups and accountability on that stuff, we also use a feature at Basecamp called check-ins where I've done this two different ways. So in the past, I had a check, a, like a prompt that comes into your Basecamp every day at like four o'clock in the afternoon. And it just says, what did you do today? Mm-hmm. And you don't have to write like a ton, but just like, you know, a paragraph about what you did that day. Uh, just so I have a sense of what's going on. And it's not really to be like big brother. It's, it's just so I can feel like I have some yeah. sense of like what's, what's going happening? on at the company, you know, um, just because we're up to like 10 people now. Yeah. So that's how I used to do it. But I've transitioned to a new system and I'm not totally sold on if I like it or not. But on Monday, we ask, what do you plan to work on this week in the morning? Yeah. On Wednesday afternoon, we ask, how are your projects going this week? And on Friday, we ask, something like, did you finish what you wanted to get done this week? I can't decide if I like that better than just asking what you did this day, every day. I may honestly switch back to that, but that's sort of how we do so-called stand-ups or or whatever. We don't have like any Zoom calls or any any synchronous meetings as far as that goes. And I think, I mean, that's kind of like how things go. I don't know if there's much else to say as far as how we schedule and do work. Um, once things are done, they'll put them in my base camp to-do list for me to review them and then okay. we ship them. And that's kind of how it, how it goes. Nice. Um, 
Do you have any expectations of synchronicity, like people working at the same time, or is it purely asynchronous? So sometimes I will put two people on a project, um, mm -hmm. especially like Tim and Jess, since they're both in Australia, I've put them on the same project a couple of times. Um, one, just so they don't feel totally isolated <laughs> yeah. because the rest of the team is asleep while they're working and it, yep. the slack is much, much, much quieter um, while they're there. So that I think that probably feels a little weird, but uh, to alleviate that, I've put them on some projects together. I've put James and Joe on products or projects together. So yeah, it definitely happens. I wouldn't say it's like the norm or what we do most of the time, but it does, yeah. it does happen. Okay. Well, this question asked for both of us. I'm trying to think, figure out how to give the short answer for ours, but we don't do stand-ups. Yeah, Titan, Titan, I feel like, is a, is a much kind of bigger, more complicated operation, perhaps with more projects going on. So I'd be curious to know. Yeah. I mean, so we don't do stand-ups. We have a weekly meeting for every... So the majority of our teams are two programmers and a project manager, sometimes a little bit of design. So the most standard thing is you've got a often a lead programmer and then like a mid-level programmer or staff programmer and then the the project manager is 20 percent of the number of development hours so like if you got two people on it then they're working half week basically they meet together once a week and they say hey here's what we're working on this next week um here's what we worked on last week um and then they usually have that exact same meeting with the client you know the next day so they said hey everybody here's what we did last week here's what we're planning to do next week here's a demo do you have any notes on this and so there's usually basically those two big meetings like a one-hour meeting internal one-hour meeting with the client max and then everything else is just uh, internal work but we do a lot of pair programming not full-time pair programming but there is a lot of synchronicity so we try and make sure that there's a pretty decent overlap between the project manager and each of the developers and the client so so that when they do need those kind of communications it's not like well we'll wait until tomorrow because we've worked with folks who are so far outside of our time zone or the client's time zone that it's sort of like every single time anybody has something to say you wait and then you wake up and then they're shutting down and now you've got 20 questions for them and it's just you can't kind of get that that synchronous communication so we've always said like Basecamp has this very asynchronous way of thinking about their work, and that's not how we do remote. We do have a ton of respect for their conversations about remote, but ours is like not fully synchronous, but we require people to be pretty modestly overlapped with each other because of the amount of like communications with the PM or communications with the client or pair programming or whatever that you have. So we do Slack for everything. All our communications are in Slack. The majority of our notes also kind of live in Slack and also Slab, which is a tool that's sort of like a businessy version of Notion. Um, but I don't think the programmers use Slab all that much. I really think it's more like project managers and the admin folks use Slab. So 99% of the work we do is going to be either in code. It's going to be in Trello as well. Our tool of choice for task management is Trello. We had tried Basecamp for a while, but I think that we didn't commit fully enough into the Basecamp ecosystem to really get the benefits of it. Yeah, I don't think Basecamp to-dos is very good. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think Trello is much better at yeah. that. So yeah, so we use Trello for to-dos. We, um, we do have a tool that we built called EOD. And basically at the end of every day, people say in Slack, at EOD, like there's an EOD bot, EOD meaning end of day. And you just kind of give a couple of bullet points about what you were working on. So it's kind of similar to the Basecamp check-ins mm -hmm. that you have. Um, and with some clients, uh, they put those EODs directly in a client-facing channel. And some clients, we put them in the project manager. We'll kind of scoop them all up and then share them just depending on the communication style. So yeah, the majority of the time, everybody's in Slack. We try to keep everything in Slack as much as possible, only because if that's where we're asking you to live, it's better that to, to integrate things into there, then be there. And you also have to have three other tools open. So we've even built internal mm -hmm. tools and then sort of sunsetted them in favor of just trying to have a Slack, custom Slack integration of some sort instead. So yeah, so most everything lives in Slack, Trello, GitHub, uh, you know, with clients, sometimes we have to be on GitLab. Sometimes we have to be on Jira and Confluence. Like we'll join that stuff for them. But our ideal setup is 
you know, weekly internal meetings, weekly client meetings, lots of overlap between the two programmers, the project manager, uh, programmers do as much coding as possible and as little management as possible. It's what the PM is there for. And yeah, we're very, we call it lowercase a agile, or I, I call it that. And I make other people call it that, but we don't have scrum masters. We don't have, you know, all that kind of stuff, but we just try to say every week, we're going to do the best work that can possibly be done on this project for this week, based on what we know. And then the next week we're going to do the same thing and the same thing and the same thing. So I think mm. that's basically how we do it. Yeah. I mean, as you were talking about all these tools, when you're running a business, it's so easy to accumulate so many tools yes, so that true. you're using to do things. And I just always find myself wanting to consolidate back to like yeah. a few tools. We've explored a lot of different tools over the years at Laravel trying to like, we've used Notion, we've used GitHub projects, we've used Trello. And it's just like, gosh, yeah. it's so nice to try to consolidate. It's like a never ending journey trying to figure out the best like workflow. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but every single time somebody joins, they bring some opinions. And so sometimes they'll join and be like, <laughs> I love linear. Linear is the best thing ever. And so they'll kind of yeah. dive into linear for a while. But so, so far, no matter what other things we've tried for information management, we end up back in Slap. It does all the things we need well enough for task management. And we always end up back in Trello. And I mean, we've been chat based since the very beginning. It was Rocket or Campfire or whatever it was originally. And then there was one other one in the interim. But when Slack came up, it was like, oh, yeah, this is this is life. Like we live that's when, when the new Slack update came out. I was so nervous. I was like, our whole company is founded around Slack. Interactions in Slack, groups in Slack, yeah. connections to Slack. So it didn't break it too much for me, but yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't mind the new Slack update, but yeah. I have seen a lot of drama about that. Yeah. I mean, just talking about Trello makes me want to go back to Trello, honestly, because <laughs> it's fantastic. I, I personally use Trello for Laravel 11 uh, and okay. Laravel 11 planning. So like I keep track of all breaking changes that have been made in Laravel 11 in Trello. I keep track of all new features. Nice. And this is something that just I can see for my own personal benefit. When I go write the Laravel 11 docs, I have a good list of everything that's happened. I love Trello for task management, but Same. I feel like, okay, so if I leave, if I start using Trello for task management and stop using Basecamp base to do's, now I'm only using Basecamp for check-ins, which is like, why, why am I using all yeah. of Basecamp just for check-ins? Which is why I started building Beep, which was yes. just check-ins check as a product only. Yeah, so I don't know what to do because I'm with you. Like I love Trello for task management and what people are working on and what we need to review, all of that. I think it's awesome at that. I mean, one of the things when you were building Beep that I thought of is, remember what I said was like, when we build internal tools that require people to go log into them, they're just much less likely to be used. So I was like, Beep mm. with a Slack integration. Yeah, Once a day. have to have Slack. Yeah, yeah. Beep, Beep the app DMs you and says, hey, what's your answer? And you type it, and then it just stays in a database. Right. And then, of course, you as the admin can go look somewhere outside of Slack. But like, now people don't have to log into Basecamp at all. They can just have Trello for their tasks and Slack for everything else. Like, Yeah, it would have to have Slack integration. Totally yeah. agree with that. Yeah. Put that on the beat backlog. <laughs> yep, I'm compelled. <laughs> so speaking of which, one of the questions that people brought up was, how is Taylor so productive? And you have talked a little bit about like, well, you knock these things out. I don't even feel like I'm that yeah. productive. <laughs> I, could, I feel like I could be much more productive. Um, I mean, I mean, I, I agree with the, the questioner that you get it, an incredible amount done running a company, employing people, responding to GitHub issues, stuff like that, and then also creating stuff. It, it does feel like your thing earlier when you're talking about how your day works gave the answer a little bit is because you have this very structured thing that leaves space for creativity whereas i think a lot of us just spend the whole day being beholden to our email i'm like i'm guessing once you're done with your morning you don't go back and check github issues again right you don't go back and check your to-do list again you're mainly like cool I, i'll do that again tomorrow morning but now it's my me time is that true yeah or? pretty much yeah that's pretty much true i think as far as productivity goes 
I think I'm productive in a different way than I used to be, which sometimes makes me uncomfortable. Like hmm. to me, back in let's say 2014, 20, well, really 2015, 2016, back when I first started working full-time on Laravel. To me, a productive day was typing on the keyboard code eight hours a day, Um, working on Forge or back then Envoy maybe or Spark. And that felt like a really productive day. And I was the only employee at the company. We hadn't even hired Muhammad yet, who was our first employee. So of course I was the one coding everything. But now with like 10 people in the company, it's just rare that I'm like coding all day. I'm doing a lot of different stuff. Like I said, curating, reviewing, writing, emailing, which I guess is productive. I'm not sure I'm totally happy with that feeling productive because I'm not, it's not the same. Hmm. But at the same time, like these people work here, like they have to work on something. Like it would be smart of me to delegate these tasks to them so that we can get even more done uh, rather than it just being me. So I don't know, like I'm still not totally used to that. Um, Yeah. And I may be feeling that more because I personally don't have some big secret project that I'm working on every day because Laravel Pulse was originally sort of formulated. The idea for it was formulated by me. Um, But Jess and Tim have been working on it pretty much the whole time. Got it. And I've been giving feedback here and there, but honestly, not that much feedback. Um, so, yeah, we are kind of doing the traditional Laravel secret project, have something in the pipeline, but I'm not the one coding mm-hmm. everything. I mm-hmm. don't know. It's a weird feeling that I'm still trying to get used to, and I'm not totally sure I like it, to be no. honest. But uh, we'll see, you know. I don't know. Maybe we're going to get you a CEO one of these days so you can just sit and come up with fun projects then. Yeah. and Yeah, maybe so. I mean, maybe that would be fun to kind of just take all of that off my plate and go back to being just a coder the whole time. Yeah. Okay. So we should probably start wrapping soon, but there was two questions here that I just, I feel like I couldn't not bring up because I feel like there's, they're spicy. The first one is, do you have any regrets in Laravel and do I have any regrets in Titan? Um, so on the business side, I think I didn't hire soon enough. I, I can't remember exactly when we hired Muhammad. Um, mm-hmm. It was like 2016, 2017, but I'd been working, I think, full-time on Laravel for almost a year before I hired someone. And I put off hiring a little bit too long, um, mainly because I was scared that, you know, I had been the main one to work on Laravel this whole time. If I bring on someone else, what if the framework gets messed up? What if they mess something else up? But that really didn't happen. And, you know, uh, bringing on Muhammad was a big productivity boost and help uh, for the company. So I, I would have done that sooner um, mm-hmm. looking back. Um, and I generally feel, still feel like we're kind of understaffed, honestly, for the amount of stuff we're working on. Yeah. Um, on the framework side, like the open source side, I think being distracted by the opinions of people who don't even use the framework over the years, um, which doesn't happen much anymore over the yeah. past few years. But again, back in like 2014 through 2016, it felt like there was this whole crew of PHP developers in the community that were very vocal about why they didn't like Laravel and what they think Laravel would do differently. And there was a part of me that thought, well, maybe if I make these changes in Laravel or add these things to Laravel, these people will also love Laravel and become Laravel evangelists and they'll finally like it. And it was uh, the hoop, the the hoop always moved, you know, like we we put one thing in Laravel. Well, I don't like this. Maybe if this changes, I'll use it then, or maybe I'll, then we add that. And then 
it just moves a little bit further. Like, you know, the carrot on a stick moves a little bit further yep. away. Yep. Um, and it was all just kind of a waste of time instead of just focusing on what made Laravel unique and productive and fun to use and just focusing on that, yeah. which we've done, I think, the last, I mean, several years. We, we yeah. don't really, uh, we kind of focus on our core audience. And like uh, Adam, Adam at Tailwind calls it, you know, playing for your fans. Um, like Slayer doesn't play Taylor Swift tunes, you know. Um, right. If you like Taylor Swift, that's great, but you should go to her concert, not come to the Slayer concert because this yeah. is where they play heavy metal. Yeah. So just sticking to what your fans like, you know, and playing your hits for the people that like what you're doing, I think is generally good. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. And I was just talking with some folks yesterday who are trying to learn more about the Laravel community and they were asking like, you know, what is the future of Laravel's growth? And one of the things I said was, like, I think that we've done a really effective job of getting the people who are actually looking for what Laravel offers, you know, getting them to be aware of it within our world. And, and I was like, the answer is not now to get more market share in the PHP community and try to convince more PHP people to like us. Like, the people who are sitting here shitting on Laravel are going to keep doing that. Yeah. Ongoing, I think, and I right? think that job is honestly kind of done. Like, I mean... I think yep. Laravel has has been successful in PHP and has sort of become the the main framework yes. thing for most new projects. Yep. Which is great. But yeah, I totally agree. I don't feel compelled to like win over non-Laravel yeah. PHP people at this point. Yes. I mean, we're what, 12 years in, you know, like yeah. if it's not your thing by now, it's like it's it's not going to be your thing. Yeah. And that's what I said. I was like, what's to be done is what we've seen a little bit of happening lately, which is people outside of the Laravel and PHP ecosystem getting rid of some of their anti-PHP hatred and just saying, oh, regardless of what I think about PHP, this Laravel thing is really kind of amazing and productive. And I was like, more of that, more of the JavaScript fa famous people or CSS famous people or Ruby famous people going, wow, Laravel, okay, you know, that kind of mm. thing. So, yeah. And I don't, do you see, I mean, there's a lot of PHP in the world that has been written years ago. Yeah. And maybe their teams already know PHP and they want to modernize their code base. And it makes sense to stay on PHP because this is what all our programmers know. And we're yes. going to move to Laravel, I think is just the natural choice for a lot of companies. So I think a lot of people come into the Laravel ecosystem that way these days yeah. and will continue to do so, honestly, as their applications continue to age and they need to upgrade and stuff like that. We have that all the time. I would say the the number of clients that we have that are on a hand-rolled vanilla PHP system and either come to us and saying, hey, can you write this Laravel? Or more often, hey, we knew Laravel was the thing. We started rewriting it in Laravel and we need you help, your help doing it right. Like they already made the decision. They already taught themselves Laravel. They already came in, but they're like, yeah, we got stuck here or we weren't sure what to do. Not even like we don't know how to do this in Laravel, but we're not sure like the idiomatic Laravel way that we right. were supposed to do it. Yeah. And so we come in and we basically like help them get set up in the Laravel world, but they already made the decision. They already knew about Laravel. They already decided Laravel. That's already been set, you know? So mm -hmm. my biggest regret in Titan was not being involved in the nitty gritty of running the company earlier. One of the things that when Dan and I started the company together was he was a little bit tired of keeping up on tech and I was a little bit tired of selling to people. I was just like, I'd been a freelancer. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. So I went head down on tech and he went head down on running the company, which is the right decision. But I think that once we got bigger, you know, probably 10 plus people, I think the appropriate thing for me to do, because I'm a very good delegator, was to delegate some of the leadership in the technical space earlier than I did. Like I've done, I've done a great job of delegating it now. You know, uh, Keith Damiani is effectively acting as a CTO. He's director of engineering. But it, I did that later than I should have. And what I should have done was delegate that earlier and get involved in 
contracts and finances and business development, all that stuff earlier than I did. And I only really dug into that stuff over the last year and a half. And I feel so much better with my role in the company and my relationship with Dan and everything like that. Now that I feel like I know everything that's going on. Um, I know mm-hmm. how bookkeeping works. I know how our contracting processes work. I'm involved in every aspect of business development. You know, Dan took a sabbatical and I just ran the company when Dan took a sabbatical and it felt fine. And that's something where for the first 10 years of the company, I was able, I was just sort of like, all I do is tech, la, 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 right? And so if I didn't like how something was going, I wouldn't be like, I know what's happening and this is the issue. I'd be like, eh, Dan, can you handle this? You know? And I mean, mm-hmm. he was the same way for me from a technical perspective. So it's not like I was un- unevenly burdening him. But I think it's from me knowing what I want from the company. I think my relationship with the company would have been much better had I gotten involved at that kind of like really nitty gritty level a lot earlier. And I thought that wasn't my type of thing. I thought, oh, well, I I'm not a sales guy. Turns out I love sales. I love talking to people who have a problem and figuring out how we can solve it for them or figuring out if they should go somewhere else. I'm like, oh, I actually really like this. So I just needed to give myself that space. So that's my biggest regret. Yeah, that's interesting. What what do you think would have been better if you would have been involved? Just you would have had a better sense of what's going on at the company. Um, what what would have actually been better? Yeah, I think I would have had a better sense. But also there have been times where I smelled something was off. And I just kind of said, well, you know, Dan's not saying anything about this. So it's it's fine. And then later mm-hmm. I'd be like, oh, I knew something was off. And I didn't say anything about it because I was just sticking my head in the sand being the CTO, you know. So mm-hmm. there there was a time where our accountants were completely screwing anything over and needed to be fired. And I had a sense something was off, but I was just like, well, they're the accountants and the accountants know things, right? So they're totally fine. And then once I actually dug into it, I was like, no, the accountants are shitting the bed. I'm sorry, I'm cussing so much this episode, everybody. Sorry. The accountants are doing a terrible job. And I was right. And my gut sense was right. But because I hadn't spent the time like kind of really digging in and knowing how the finances of a large company works, I was just like, well, I don't know. Maybe my gut sense is wrong, right? So mm-hmm. then I dug in and learned how it works. And I was like, oh, this was a lot easier for me to understand than I thought. And I would have trusted my gut to say, this is a problem and I need to handle it quite a bit earlier had I just been involved there. So yeah, I would have been more connected and involved. Um, I also think that like Dan and I have been shifting our responsibilities a lot over the last year, like as I took over as CEO and stuff like that. And I think the dynamics that led us to do that would have been apparent to me a lot more, a lot earlier. And so it would have been a lot easier for us to figure out when it was time to make that shift. So, you know, and we just felt some, some pain and some friction as a result of it taking a while for me to kind of figure that all out. So, mm. you know, in the end we're good, but like, I do think that had I realized that that was what was needed earlier, I think a lot of friction, a lot of pain points, a lot of uh, miscommunications, a lot of someone's doing one thing and should be doing something else would have been better served. But I do think that it was just one of those, like, I just drew a hard line in the sand where I don't do the business stuff. And Mm -hmm. I don't think that that served me well, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. Which is very interesting to me because the last topic, the spicy one is Laravel and marriage. And I put LOL next to this one in the card because I'm divorced. So I don't know if y'all <laughs> want to be listening to me. But one of the funniest things about my my marriage story was that like I, my ex and I both knew it wasn't working long, 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 long before we got divorced. But because I was coming out of the church, I had been taught that the most important thing you do to protect your marriage is say divorce is never an option, period. Divorce is never an option. So no matter what went wrong, no matter how early it went wrong, I would go fingers in ears, la, 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 divorce is not an option. So this problem is not a problem or this problem is fixable, right? No matter what, because we can't get divorced. So obviously we're going to be able to fix the thing. So I feel like I'm seeing like a I have a trend there of just sort of like in the past, I would just say, 
this is this can't be true, so I'm not even going to deal with it. Or this can't be on my plate, so I'm not even going to interact mm. with it. And now I'm just kind of like, there's no such thing. There's no hard lines like that in life. Like sometimes yeah. you're going to have to take responsibility for something or an experience a situation that you didn't want to have happen, and you just got to deal with that. You know? Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's basically like confronting fear. You know, mm. as long if you can maintain these sort of boundaries of things that are impossible or not options. It's yeah. easy to not be as scared by scarier options, Ooh, you know. Yeah. But sometimes scary, but sometimes scary options are, you know, like the most freeing at the end, even though they're hard to go down. They're hard yeah. roads to go down, but they end up being the most beneficial. Yeah, I'm not telling our <laughs> listeners necessarily to, to, to yeah. you know to do whatever, but uh, yeah, um, you know. But there's sometimes I think we just put walls up to certain options and 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 hide them in our mind as mm. not being available options because they're scary and we mm. don't know what the other side, what's on the other side of that door, basically. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a great point. You prefer the comfortable, even if it's uncomfortable, but it's comfortable because you know what it is. Versus at least like I know, the, like at least I, I, mm. I have some sense of what my world will be like, you know, in, yeah. that, in that scenario. That's a great point. And, and especially as you get like a little bit older, you get more and more settled in like, Things were turbulent before, but now I know where I am. And I might not like everything about where I am, but at least I know what it is. And are you yeah. saying in my 30s or my 40s or my 50s, I'm going to have to completely throw everything upside down? Like, that's scary, right? Like mm -hmm. making big changes to your job or your career or your company or your relationship or whatever. So, yeah, that's a I love that. It's a really good point. So, but this particular point, they didn't say anything other than Laravel and marriage. But I think one of the reasons they're bringing it up is because your marriage and your relationship is public and beautiful. And, and a lot of people are like, you guys are so happy. You do these wonderful things together and you support each other and everything like that. So obviously it's not a PHP framework that got you there. But there is some element of how you handle your relationship and also what your kind of position and role as a open source founder of things like has enabled you to do in terms of having a relationship that maybe not everybody who has a traditional nine to five has been able to do. So I don't know if this prompts anything for you, but as you hear someone saying, Taylor, I see your relationship, I see it, and I think there's something beautiful about it, and I want some of that. Is there any part of you that says, oh, there's a story I want to tell, there's any advice I want to give, or anything, or or something you want to share about how Laravel has allowed you to be more present as a dad and as a, as a husband or anything like that that you could share with folks? As far as marriage goes, I feel like I just got very lucky in some sense. Abigail mm. and I got married really young. I was 23 and she was 19, and, and it's Babies. just... In a very true sense, we just did not know each other at all, yeah. you know, just because how can you um, yeah. at that age? You're just very young. You change a lot over the years. And I think we just got lucky in the sense that we kind of changed in the same ways and headed mm. the same direction or the other person was heading together and in some sense sort of grew up together, um, yeah. you know, transitioned from basically teenage and young adulthood to being an adult with kids, we grew up together and we made similar transitions, um, hmm. personality wise, spirituality wise, what we like to do, um, just sort of went in the same direction. Hmm. And I consider that somewhat lucky because it definitely didn't have to go that way. Like, mm -hmm. you know, like I could have gone one direction as I got into my thirties and she could have grown a whole different direction into her thirties. Mm -hmm. And then we would actually have a legitimate issue. I think where we're just not compatible people anymore, you know? Interesting. Um, so I think we just got, we were fortunate in that sense that we sort of grew in the same direction. I don't think that it was necessarily anything specific that either of us did. It just happened to work out that way. Um, 
you know, as far as kids, I think running Laravel has obviously afforded me some freedom to work at home and be present with the kids, especially during the summers when they're not in school and see them during the day, which is great. But, you know, and, and it's sort of given them, it's been like a family business. So it's given them something to like, oh yeah, Laravel is sort of our thing, you know, as a family and dad made it, but we all talk about it. And like, I explained to them Laracon and what I'm going to talk about and kind of what we're working on. So it's been kind of a fun family business over the years, which has been really, really nice. I really appreciate you sharing that about like the ways you guys change over time. Cause so I'm engaged now. And one of the things that I've discovered that I was, didn't give space for in my first marriage was for the idea of compatibility. And like Mm -hmm. very early on when we're having issues in the marriage, it was sort of like, you know, Mike's would be like, we're not compatible. And I was like, again, I was like, la, 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 fingers and ears. We must be compatible because we're married and divorce is not an option. Right. (laughs) But this time around, I'm just sort of like, yeah, no, she was right. Like you need to find people who you're compatible with. And I do agree with that very strongly. However, I've heard so much from people who study relationships that the no matter how compatible you are on day one, everybody's going to change throughout the span of a relationship and your willingness to not just say, you're not who I was on day. I wanted who I married on day one, but instead say like, as you change, we are going to change maybe not in all the same ways, but we're at least going to be like re falling in love and getting to know the person you're changing into. And hopefully you're also both changing in similar directions to your point. But regardless, like if you're just saying, I married this one person, this one person's who I wanted. You're not that person anymore. Now we have a problem. Even if you change in the same direction, you're being so stubborn and obstinate that you don't allow them to grow. And I I forget who it is that did these studies, but there's a lot of studies that said like that really is a determining factor of longevity. One of the determining factors of longevity relationship is how much you're willing to allow that person to grow and shift and how much the two of you are actually like in a trusting connection with each other shifting together like in and i've talked Mm -hmm. to several people i know who got divorced and said and reflected and said i changed in certain directions together with my partner in a way that i would not have if i were not in that partnership and they're not saying that was a bad thing but they're just reflecting the fact that you can see it that like in order to try and make a good and healthy partnership you kind of you you follow together so that you guys can kind of move in that direction so while you say lucky and i'm sure there was luck there as well i want to name that like a lot of studies have shown that like the work that you all did to grow together in those directions was a big factor where you are today so to other folks it doesn't seem to just be about finding the perfect person or getting lucky a lot of it has to do with how you handle those shifts that naturally happen over the span of a relationship and a lifetime right yeah being able to communicate being able to compromise on differences you know were also hugely key i mm-hmm. think yeah well i know we're over time but whoever asked that question thank you for giving us that moment to jump into it taylor we're 43 minutes so i think i should cut <laughs> us off but is there anything else you wanted to chat about today before we cut well, on the Laracon front, we have Laracon Australia coming up next month. We have Laracon Europe in February. We are still selecting speakers for Laracon Europe. So if you haven't submitted your talk proposal, go ahead and submit that on laracon.eu. Uh, we've already chosen six or seven speakers, I think, that are up on the website, but we still have quite a few to select. So go ahead and do that. We're at about, I think we're about 50% sold out on okay. Laracon EU nice. also. So if you are interested in getting a ticket, I would probably you know start thinking about that in the next few weeks. Okay. And I'm I'm very sad to say that Laracon AU hap- is happening when I got my kids and Laracon AU <laughs> is happening when I'm getting married. So I'm not able to make either this year, but I've been to both in the past. And y'all, if you have not had a chance to go to one of those conferences and those are in your regional area, 
The benefit that comes from these in-person conference, conferences is very, very, very difficult to communicate really effectively because some people are like, oh, it's this many dollars or whatever, and all I'm going to do is listen to talks I can listen to elsewhere. And yes, the talks are great, right? But like the value that comes as a programmer, as a member of a business, as a member of a community from being in the same physical space as these folks is absolutely incredible. And to put things in comparison, I just spent two or three times what Laracon EU charges to go to a business owner conference because that's just what those conferences cost. And I was really grateful in that moment for the work that the the Taylor Taylor and the Laravel folks have been kind of put in to try and kind of make these things affordable. So on the one hand, I know it feels very expensive. I remember the first conference I ever went to was LessCon run by the Less, Less Accounting folks. Alan Branch. Or- yeah. And I was like, and I, I had just gotten to know those guys and I was like, guys, it's a thousand dollars. I don't know if I can afford this. And they're like, Matt, I, gently, they're like, this is three times cheaper than anything else in the industry trust me it's gonna be worth it and the relationships i made at that conference are still following me today are still impactful and who i know you know i met josh the guy behind that accounting tool i met robbie russell behind oh my z shell i met all these people who i'm still like you know in really great relationship with and people who've been really influential in my life and that happens with every laricon too like every time i go to laricon i make new connections that happen this time i've been to i don't even know how many at this point and i still am like wow the people i talk to the connections i made here business relationships friend relationships so i just really want to hype it up to you all if you are on the fence and you are considering going to one of these conferences not only are they all great but i can specifically name that eu and au are just a fantastic time if they're near you you should go make it happen and if you need if you need any more motivation, hit me up on Twitter and I will tell you why it's so great. But seriously, all these things are amazing. And I'm jealous that I'm not going to be there. <laughs> yeah, we'll miss you. Yeah, but thanks, congrats. dude. Thank you. Yeah, right. It's for good reasons. I can understand this. So, all right. Well, thank you all so much for hanging out with us on this episode four of season six, where we did not jump the shark, but we did have some great conversations and we will see you all next time. See you.